0: Hello. Thank you for listening to Art History at Bedtime. My name is Bendel Grosvenor. This story is the life of Michelangelo Marisi de Caravaggio, who was born in 1571 and died in 1610. It was first published in 1672 by Giovanni Pietro Bellori. This translation was published in 1955 by Walter Friedlander. Demetrius, the ancient sculptor, is said to have been so eager to render the likeness of things that he cared more for imitating them than for their beauty. I have seen that the same is true for Michelangelo Medici. He recognized no other master than the model, and did not select the best forms of nature, but emulated art, astonishingly enough, without art. The fame of the noble citadel Caravaggio in Lombardy was doubled by his birth, since it was already the birthplace of Polidoro. Both of them began as masons, carrying hods of mortar for constructions. In Rome, he lived without a fixed lodging and without resources. Models were too expensive for him, and without one he didn't know how to paint, nor did he earn enough to take care of his expenses in advance. So he was forced to enter the services of Cavalieri Giuseppe d'Arpino. He was employed by him to paint flowers and fruits, which he imitated so well that from here on they began to attain the high degree of beauty, so fully appreciated today. He painted a carafe of flowers, in which he showed the transparency of the glass and of the water, and in which one can see the reflection of a window in the room. The flowers are sprinkled with the freshest dewdrops. He also made other excellent paintings of this kind, but he worked on such subjects with reluctance, feeling great regret at seeing himself kept away from figure-painting. Thus he took an opportunity offered him by Prospero, a painter of grotesques, and left the house of Giuseppe to compete with him for artistic fame. Now he began to paint according to his own genius. He not only ignored the most excellent marbles of the ancients and the famous paintings of Raphael, but he despised them, and nature alone became the object of his brush. Thus, when the most famous statues of Phidias and Glycon were pointed out to him as models for his painting, he gave no other reply than to extend his hand toward a crowd of men, indicating that nature had provided him sufficiently with teachers. In finding and arranging his figures, whenever it happened that he came upon someone in the town who pleased him, he was fully satisfied with this invention of nature, and made no effort to exercise his brain further. He painted a young girl seated on a chair with her hands in her lap, in the act of drying her hair. He portrayed her in a small room, with a small ointment vessel, jewels and gems placed on the floor. Thus he would have us believe that she is the Magdalene. She holds her face a little to one side, and her cheek, neck and breast are rendered in pure, facile and true tones, which are enhanced by the simplicity of the whole composition. She wears a blouse, and her yellow dress is drawn up to her knees over the white underskirt of flowered damask. We have described this figure in particular in order to characterize his naturalistic method and the way in which he imitates real color, using only a few tints. Caravaggio, for he was now generally called by the name of his native town, was making himself more and more notable for the color scheme which he was introducing, not soft and sparingly tinted as before but reinforced throughout with bold shadows and a great deal of black to give relief to the forms. He went so far in this manner of working that he never brought his figures out into the daylight, but placed them in the dark brown atmosphere of a closed room, using a high light that descended vertically over the principal parts of the bodies while leaving the remainder in shadow in order to give force through a strong contrast of light and dark. The painters then in Rome were greatly impressed by his novelty, and the younger ones especially gathered around him and praised him as the only true imitator of nature. Looking upon his works as miracles, they outdid each other in following his method, undressing their models and placing their lights high, without paying attention to study and teachings, each found easily in the piazza or in the street his teacher or his model for copying nature. This facile manner attracted many, and only the old painters who were accustomed to the old ways were shocked at the new concern for nature, and they did not cease to decry Caravaggio and his manner. They spread it about that he didn't know how to come out of the cellar, and that, poor in invention and design, lacking in decorum and art, he painted all his figures in one light, and on one plane, without gradations. These accusations, however, did not retard the growth of his fame, Caravaggio painted the portrait of Cavalier Marino, the most famous among men of letters, and the names of the poet and the painter were thus celebrated together in the academies. The head of Medusa by Caravaggio, which Cardinal del Monte gave to the Grand Duke of Tuscany, was particularly praised by Marino. Thus it happened that Marino, because of his goodwill toward Caravaggio and the pleasure which he took in his works, introduced him into the house of Monsignor Melchiorre Crescenzi the clerk of the papal court. Caravaggio painted the portrait of this most learned prelate and another one of Virgilio Cricenzi, who, as the heir of Cardinal Contarelli, chose him together with Giuseppino to execute the paintings in the chapel of San Luigi dei Francesi. But then something happened which greatly disturbed Caravaggio and almost made him despair for his reputation. After the central picture of St. Matthew had been finished and placed on the altar, It was taken away by the priests, who said that the figure, with his legs crossed and his feet crudely exposed to the public, had neither decorum nor the appearance of a saint. Caravaggio was in despair because of this affront to the first of his works in the church. However, the Marchese Vincenzo Cestiniani acted in his favour and freed him from this grief. He intervened with the priests, took the painting for himself, and had Caravaggio do another in a different way, which is the one now seen above the altar. To show how much the Marchese honoured the first painting, he took it into his house, and later placed it beside paintings of the other three evangelists, by Guido Reni, Domenichino, and Albani, the three most celebrated painters of the time. Caravaggio exerted every effort to succeed in his second picture. He tried to give a natural pose to the saint writing the gospel by showing him with one knee bent on the stool, and with his hands on the small table, in the act of dipping his pen in the inkwell, placed on the book. He turns his face to the left toward the winged angel, who, suspended in air, speaks to him and makes a sign to him by touching the index finger of his left hand and that of his right hand. Caravaggio continued to be favoured by the Marchese, who commissioned him to make some pictures, the crowning with thorns and St. Thomas's placing his finger in the wound of the Lord's side. Besides these half-figures he painted a victorious amour, raising his arrow in his right hand, Arms, books and other instruments, are lying at his feet as trophies. Other Roman gentlemen were also pleased with his works, and vied with one another to obtain them. Among them was the Marchese Mattei, who had him paint the taking of Christ in the garden, which is also in half figures. For Massimi he painted an Ecce Homo, which was taken to Spain, and for the Marchese Patrizzi he did the supper at Emmaus. Here Christ is blessing the bread and one of the apostles seated at the table recognizes him and stretches out his arms, while the other apostle rests his hand on the table and stares at him in wonderment. Behind the table are the host with a cap on his head and an old woman who brings food. Caravaggio's preoccupation with his painting did not calm the restlessness of his spirit. Having spent some hours of the day in his studio, he would appear in various parts of the city with his sword at his side, as though he were a professional swordsman, giving the impression that he attended to everything but painting. In a ball game, he had an argument with one of his young friends, and they began to beat each other with the rackets. Finally, they resorted to arms, and Caravaggio killed the youth and was also wounded himself. Having fled from Rome, penniless and pursued, he found refuge in Zagarolo under the protection of the Duke, Marzio Colonna. Afterward, he went to Naples, where he immediately found commissions, because his manner and name were already known there. In the chapel of Signore di Franco, in the church of San Domenico Maggiore, he was commissioned to do the flagellation of Christ at the column. For the church of the Misericordia, in the same city, he painted the seven acts of mercy, a painting about ten palmi long. Here one sees an old man who sticks his head out between the bars of a prison, and sucks milk from the bared breast of a woman, who bends down to him. Caravaggio wished very much to receive the cross of Malta, which was usually given per grazia to notable persons for merit and virtue. He therefore went to Malta, and when he arrived he was introduced to the Grand Master, a French nobleman. Caravaggio portrayed him standing dressed in armour. As a reward for this, the Grand Master presented him with the cross of Malta. In addition to honouring Caravaggio with the cross of Malta, our Grand Master gave him a precious chain of gold, and two slaves, along with other signs of his esteem. But then, all of a sudden, Caravaggio's turbulent nature brought this prosperity to an end, and caused him to lose the favour of the Grand Master. Because of a very inopportune quarrel with a noble cavalier, he was thrown into prison, and was subjected to misery, fear, and maltreatment. With great personal danger, he managed to escape from prison in the night, and fled unrecognised to Sicily with such great speed, that he could not be overtaken. He hurried across Sicily from Messina to Palermo, and there, for the Oratorio de San Lorenzo, he painted another nativity, representing the virgin contemplating the newborn babe. The lights are diffused among the shadows of the night. When this work was finished, he felt that it was no longer safe to remain in Sicily, and so he left the island and sailed back to Naples. Thus, as soon as it was possible, he boarded a boat and suffering the bitterest pain he started out for Rome. Through the intercession of Cardinal Gonzaga he had already obtained his liberation from the Pope, but when he went ashore the Spanish guard arrested him by mistake, taking him for another cavalier and held him prisoner. Although he was soon released, the boat which was carrying him and his possessions was no longer to be found, and thus in a state of anxiety and desperation he ran along the beach in the full heat of the summer sun, and when he reached Porto Ercole, he collapsed and was seized by a malignant fever. He died within a few days at about forty years of age. Thus Caravaggio finished his life and was buried on a deserted shore. There is no question that Caravaggio advanced the art of painting, because he came upon the scene at a time when realism was not much in fashion, and when figures were made according to convention and manner, and satisfied more the taste for gracefulness than for truth. Thus, by avoiding all prettiness and vanity in his colour, Caravaggio strengthened his tones and gave them blood and flesh. In this way, he induced his fellow painters to work from nature. He never introduced clear blue atmosphere into his pictures. On the contrary, he always used black for the ground and depths, and also for the flesh tones, limiting the force of light to a few places. Moreover, he followed his model so slavishly that he did not take credit for even one brushstroke, but said that it was the work of nature. He repudiated every other precept and considered it the highest achievement in art not to be bound by the rules of art. Because of these innovations, he received so much acclaim that some artists of great talent, instructed in the best schools, were impelled to follow him. Despite this, many of the best elements of art were not in him. He possessed neither invention, nor decorum, nor design, nor any knowledge of the science of painting. The moment the model was taken away from his eyes, his hand and his imagination remained empty. Nevertheless, many artists were infatuated by his manner, and accepted it willingly, since without study or effort it enabled them to make facile copies after nature, and to imitate forms which were vulgar and lacking in beauty. With the majesty of art thus suppressed by Caravaggio, everyone did as he pleased, and soon the value of the beautiful was discounted. The antique lost all authority, as did Raphael. And because it was so easy to obtain models and paint heads from nature, these pictures abandoned the use of histories which are proper to painters and redirected themselves to half-length figures, which were previously very little used. And now began the representation of vile things. Some artists began to look enthusiastically for filth and deformity. If they have to paint armour, they choose the rustiest. If a vase, they do not make it complete but broken and without a spout. The costumes they paint are stockings, breeches, and big caps, and when they paint figures they give all of their attention to the wrinkles, the defects of the skin, and the contours, depicting knotted fingers and limbs disfigured by disease. Because of this, Caravaggio encountered much displeasure, and some of his pictures were taken down from their altars. The same thing has happened to his death of the Virgin in the Church of the Scala because it imitated too closely the corpse of a woman. Another of his paintings, The Virgin and St. Anne, was taken down from one of the minor altars of the Vatican Basilica, because the Virgin and the nude Christ-child were too indecently portrayed. In the supper at Emmaus, besides the rustic character of the two apostles, and of the Lord, who is shown young and without a beard, Caravaggio shows the innkeeper, who serves with a cap on his head, and on the table there is a plate of grapes, figures, and pomegranates out of season Caravaggio's way of working corresponded to his physiognomy and appearance he had a dark complexion and dark eyes black hair and eyebrows and this of course was reflected in his paintings his first manner with its sweet and pure colour was his best in it he made the greatest achievements and proved himself to be the most excellent lombard colourist but later driven by his peculiar temperament He gave himself up to the dark manner and to the expression of his turbulent and contentious nature. It was because of his temperament that Caravaggio was forced to leave Milan and his homeland and then to flee from Rome and from Malta, to go into hiding in Sicily, to live in danger in Naples, and to die in misery on a deserted beach. If you have enjoyed these podcasts, please consider making a donation to Art History Link-Up, the charity which teaches the history of art to state school children in the UK. Art History Link-Up is continuing its classes online during the pandemic, but would benefit from all our help. Donation details can be found on their website, arthistorylinkup.org. Thank you.